Today's guest scientist studies the Earth's atmosphere far above our heads, and we're not just saying far above our heads. We are talking 300 miles up, higher than clouds, higher than aeroplanes. You're listening to the Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching, or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. Guest scientist Dr. Ingrid Knossen. Dr. Knossen is an Earth scientist who works for the British Antarctic Survey. She studies a layer of the Earth's upper atmosphere called the ionosphere. The ionosphere is a long way up. Let's hear her tell us what she does. I work on the upper atmosphere, very high up, about altitudes of hundreds. Of kilometers, and I look at how that part of the atmosphere has changed over time. So over timescales of decades,、uh, even up to centuries. And your office is in an aeroplane somewhere? No, I do computer simulations. So I run simulations, look at the output from from that that I get, and、uh, try and find out what are the processes that contribute to these long-term changes high up in the atmosphere that we see. Why are we concerned about the changes in the atmosphere? There's a couple of reasons. I mean, when we're that high up, there's not,、uh, not. It's not like climate where it directly、mm-hmm. uh, impacts on people's lives. But we do have a lot of satellites up there.、Uh, some of them operate in the upper atmosphere, really. So they are in an environment that we need to understand. And also,、um, satellites that are further out、uh, still need to communicate with us at the Earth's surface, and signals that they send back to the Earth need to pass through the upper atmosphere, and they can be modified mostly by the ionosphere, the charged portion of the upper atmosphere.、Uh, so it's still really useful if we understand how things change on all sorts of timescales. Are you making any measurements? I、okay. compare with. Other people's work who've looked at these long-term changes in observations. So people who measure things about the ionosphere, people who measure temperature or density in the upper atmosphere. I try to compare what I get from the model results with those observations to try and figure out how important different processes are in contributing what we observe or what other people observe. Tell us how on earth somebody gets a piece of ionosphere. Do they go up there with a polythene bag? How do they sample it? <laughs> they don't really sample it.、Okay. They,、uh, they they measure the ionosphere from the Earth's surface.、Okay. So we have yeah, instruments called ionosons, and they're type of radar.、Uh, so they, you send a signal up into the atmosphere,、okay. wait for it to come back because these signals reflect. Off on the ionosphere,、okay. and by sending up signals、uh, with different frequencies and and measuring how long it takes for them to come back, you can get a lot of information about the vertical distribution of the electrons in in the upper atmosphere. So that's one way we find out about the ionosphere. Nowadays, there are also satellites that take measurements, and so that's providing more information now. And by measurement, are we talking about an electrical, a kind of physical kind of measurement, as opposed to a piece of chemistry? The parameters that I look at、yeah. are the peak of the electron density, so the, the maximum value of the electron density that we get in the ionosphere,、uh-huh. and also the height at which that peak occurs. So we see long-term changes in the height of the peak of that electron density, and also in the maximum itself. 
Now, there's so, a bit of my education was missing because I don't know where the ionosphere is. It starts at about 60 kilometres up in the air or so. It, there's not too much of it there. As you go up further, you'll get more ions and electrons. It peaks at about an altitude of 300 kilometres or so, but it can vary depending on whether it's nighttime or daytime or what the sun is doing because it's very dependent on solar radiation, which is what what's causing the ionization in the first place. And it carries on until maybe 700, 800 kilometers, but it becomes you know, less dense again uh, once you go beyond that peak. Now, this is a long way up. It, why was there interest in this particular thing? Did you, you say it was purely because we want to communicate with satellites? That's, that's only one part of the story. The, okay. the, the other part is a bit less certain whether it is important or not. But the whole atmosphere is a, is a coupled system. So different parts of the atmosphere can have an influence on other parts that are really far away. Mm-hmm. And we're learning more and more about vertical connections in the in the atmosphere. So, for instance, it's becoming quite clear now that things that are happening in the stratosphere, which is going up to about 50 kilometers, it's where the ozone layer is, things that are happening up there have an influence on what's going on close to the surface. So the idea is that possibly um, even things that happen up much higher in the atmosphere can ultimately couple to the rest of the atmosphere as well. And if that's the case, then that's another reason to be to be studying this part of the atmosphere. But that's still uh, uncertain. There, there are some interesting pieces of evidence that kind of suggest a link, but we don't really understand how this works. You mentioned earlier about things changing. What yeah. would be a change? Well, I ha- the, the, the most obvious thing that has happened is that the upper atmosphere has been cooling. And we think that that's at least in part related to increasing greenhouse gases. So they have a warming effect in the lower atmosphere, but they actually cool the upper atmosphere. Mostly, actually, there's information from objects that are flying around the Earth, and their their orbits depend on the density of the atmosphere, because the denser the atmosphere is, they fly through the more drag they experience from the atmosphere. So by studying the orbits of thousands of objects, you can get information about how the density up there has changed. And the density is directly related to the temperature, because if you're looking at a fixed height, the atmosphere is cooling, then the whole atmosphere will contract, which means that more air moves downward, basically. So if you're at a fixed height, you'll see a reduction in density, and that's exactly what people have found. And this is over sort of recent living time scale. 50 years, maybe 60 years. We, we go back for as long as we've got data for. For the ionosphere, we have a couple of ionosons have been in operation since the early part of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. But then most of them actually started operating in the late 1950s. So we have 50, 60 years worth of data maybe. And sometimes there are big data gaps which make them unsuitable for these long-term change studies because you need a continuous data set to be able to really figure out what's going on in the long term. The, the model that I run, it's, it's a global model of the upper atmosphere that has been uh, in development for decades really. And People have just added to it over time, continuously improving these models. And so what I use is what what many people have been working on for a long time to get them as, as good as they can be. 
I go into the model and I make small changes. One thing that I look at is the effects of changes in the Earth's magnetic field okay. on the upper atmosphere. Okay. So I go inside the model and I change the, the way the magnetic field is specified. So I can, for instance, plug in the magnetic field that we had back in 1900 and run a simulation for that. And then I can change it to the magnetic field we had maybe in the year 2000 and run another simulation. And then by comparing these two simulations and see what's different about them, that's how I find out what influence the Earth's magnetic field has on the upper atmosphere. Okay, it's a sort of a side question. What is the significance of Earth's magnetic field? Well, because we have these charged particles in the upper atmosphere, they respond to a magnetic field. Charged particles like to stay on a magnetic field line. It's a bit like... You know, if you imagine a piece of string as a magnetic field line, then mm -hmm. the ions and electrons would be beads on that string. So they're much more comfortable moving up and down magnetic field lines, but not very comfortable moving across them. Okay. So if you change the orientation of the magnetic field, for instance, then you can change where ions and electrons are moving to. So that you change the transport of ions and electrons all over the upper atmosphere. And if you do that in a consistent way, then you can change the distribution of those ions and electrons, so you change the structure of, of the ionosphere. Also, the strength of the Earth's magnetic field has an influence on the upper atmosphere, because the stronger the magnetic field, the less freedom the ions and electrons have to move about, in a way. They're more bound by that magnetic field if it's stronger, and that means that you have lower conductivity, because you need ions and electrons to be mobile to be able to, to conduct. So it also has effects on currents flowing in the, in the upper atmosphere and the strength of those currents. And are there other people that, in your office doing anything like you? Not quite. Even in the entire world, there are not many people working okay. exactly on what I work on. Um, people in the past have looked uh, a little bit at how changes in the Earth's magnetic field can affect the upper atmosphere, but they, I think, mostly didn't use numerical models. They made some theoretical um, approximations, but I think I was the first to do this in numerical models of the upper atmosphere. And in an industrial sense, who would be most interested in this? Well, perhaps people who plan satellite missions and operate satellites, and only if it's a long-term mission, perhaps they, they might be interested in these kind of things. It's difficult to say. Uh, for the most part, those people are more concerned about short-term variations because the sun has a really strong influence on the upper atmosphere and also beyond. So, and when something violent happens on the sun, there's a coronal mass ejection, which ejects a lot of energetic particles towards the Earth that mm -hmm. can have really severe effects on satellites and but those are short-term events. Those are things that happen over hours and days or maybe weeks, but not over decades and, and centuries. But if there, if there was a long-term change in how frequent those were, that would be okay. uh, of interest to them. Is this ionosphere, is this a continuous thing that covers the Earth like another piece of onion skin? Yes. There's more of it during daytime because 
that's when you get the radiation from the sun. Okay. On, and and this, the solar radiation is really what ionizes the upper atmosphere or so strips the electrons off from the molecules and atoms in the first place. So at nighttime, when you don't have that input from the sun, there's still some other sources of ionization, but it's, it's a lot less. So you get less ionosphere at nighttime than you do during the day. And there are also longer-term variations because the activity of the sun varies over approximately 11 years. There's an 11-year cycle in solar activity. Okay. So when we're at solar maximum, when the output from the sun is at its strongest, then we have more ionosphere as well, if you like, okay. than, <laughs> than when we're at solar minimum. Conditions. And what rare circumstance makes someone end up studying this? Yeah, I don't know how that happened. I started off being interested in earthquakes and volcanoes and things like that. So I did my undergraduate degree in earth sciences and focusing on geophysics. And I studied in the Netherlands and that we didn't have a bachelor master system. So it was all integrated in one. Mm -hmm. So I had a master's as well in geophysics, basically. And I was really interested at that point in the connection between the sun and the earth and interest in the magnetic field of the earth. And what became my PhD supervisor came up with this project to try and investigate what the influences of magnetic field changes on the atmosphere. And I, I didn't know before then that there could be an influence, that it could be relevant to the atmosphere. But it sounded like a really interesting thing to do. And that's, that's kind of what got me into it. And yeah, I'm still working on it now. Where are, where are we? What are we hoping for? What are we hoping for? Well, I'm hoping for a better understanding of the upper atmosphere because mm -hmm. I think by studying what's contributing to these long-term changes, we're also learning a lot about how the upper atmosphere works in general. So I, I've learned a lot about the role of the Earth's magnetic field, for instance, in, in the upper atmosphere. And it's some of the results that I got that I thought were only applicable for kind of long-term changes actually also have applications now because the magnetic field structure in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere is very different. Different. Though. Yeah. So in, in the northern hemisphere, the, the magnetic pole is quite close to the geographic pole, but in the southern hemisphere, they're much further apart. And also the magnetic field strengths in the two hemispheres are different. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that some of the differences that we see between the two hemispheres in, in the upper atmosphere of the two hemispheres are related to differences in that magnetic field structure. So that's kind of helping our understanding of the upper atmosphere now as it is today, rather than how it's evolved over time as well. Okay. I do have to ask, how yeah. does your work connect with the rest of... British Antarctic Survey? Well, we have several other people working on links between what's happening higher up in the atmosphere and how it affects what's going on lower down. So people who are working on the vertical connections within the atmosphere. And also one of the reasons to be at the British Antarctic Survey is because the polar regions are a really interesting place, not not just for penguins, but also because the Earth's magnetic field is almost vertical near the poles. So okay. that is where it has a really strong connection with the solar wind coming in from the sun. Um, so that also for 
magnetic field studies, it's quite an interesting place to be. That's excellent. Thank you, Ingrid. And many thanks to Dr. Ingrid Knossen, and we'll post links to her research on our podcast page. Yep, thanks for telling us about the ionosphere. Do you know, I used to know a girl called Iona. Mm, yeah, nice name. Yep, she used to think the whole world was built around her. <laughs> wah, wah. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website, www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Crease. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105.